The first reading for this, the fifth Sunday of Easter, comes from the Acts of the Apostles, the 11th chapter. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. Christ has risen from the dead. He has given him dominion over the works of his hands. The epistle reading comes from the Revelation of St. John, the 21st chapter. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, where the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. 
This is the word of the Lord. And the Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes to us according to St. John, the 16th chapter. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. Jesus spoke this cryptic statement from our gospel reading to his disciples a little before his crucifixion. A very little while before. This conversation is recorded from the upper room the night of the Last Supper. Literally just a few hours before Jesus is betrayed, arrested, and killed. So from our perspective, it's very clear that Jesus means he will soon be killed and buried so they will not see him, but then he will rise again so they will see him again in another little while. But this wasn't so clear to the disciples, because for them, Jesus' death was the last thing on their minds. Even though Jesus had told them over and over that it was going to happen, it just didn't seem possible. Jesus was popular. He was powerful. He had come into Jerusalem with shouts of Hosanna and waving of palm branches, and everyone pretty much assumed that he was going to make himself the new king of Israel. Everything was going great, and they were his right-hand men. And so they questioned among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me. Silly disciples, right? Yeah, but silly us, too. Because these words that Jesus spoke, they aren't just about his death and resurrection. They're also about his ascension and his triumphant return. 
In a little while, this world would not see him because he is going to the Father. And again in a little while, and every eye shall see him return in glory. When exactly will that be? Well, here we echo the disciples. What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. When is a little while? We want clarification. We want specifics on when the world will end and when Jesus will return. We want a date. We want a map that lays it out for us. We want him to tell us clearly, August 31st of 2000, whatever, whatever. Because a little while can mean a lot of different things, can't it? Dad, when supper? Well, a little while probably means a few minutes. Dad, when can I learn how to drive? A little while means a few years. Dad, when can I start dating? A little while means never. <laughs> Several hours of an enjoyable concert or movie can seem like just a little while. Three months of summer vacation, 50 years of marriage, 12 years of, high school, of school. It can all pass by in the blink of an eye. It can seem like it all happened in just a little while. And so when Jesus speaks of the end of the world coming in a little while, we start to get a little bit nervous. Because guess what? It hasn't happened yet. I mean, after all, the ascension part of his statement, in a little while you will not see me, that happened about 43 days after he said it. Now, though, we've been waiting for the last part, for his return, for almost 2,000 years. It's starting to not feel like a little while anymore. The fact is, though, we're not the first generation to think this. In fact, we're not the first generation to think that we are now at the end of a little while. The apostles themselves, they endured terrible persecution. They saw nationwide famines. They saw so much suffering and war and pain and bloodshed. They lived under evil and vicious Roman emperors who had Christians murdered for sport. They had heard firsthand Jesus' promise that they would see him again in a little while. And so they assumed that they were the final generation, that he would return in glory before they closed their eyes in death. But that was not to be. Well, the church fathers after them, the second and third and fourth and fifth generation Christians, the early centuries after Jesus, they experienced worldwide outbreaks of disease. They experienced war, attacks of heresy, oppression in the church. They saw many more of their fellow Christians martyred for their faith. They saw false teachings lure many believers away. Things were really bad for the church. And it had been decades and then centuries since Jesus had said a little while. And so surely they had to be the last people on earth. But they too were not. Then Luther and the Reformers, about 1,500 years after Jesus, many of them lived through famines and pestilence. They saw the corrupted church refuse to change its ways. They saw Muslim invaders sweeping across the known world, killing anyone who dared disagree with them. After Luther's death, 
the terrible Thirty Years' War was fought, where Roman Catholics, Lutherans, and various sects of Protestants all sought to destroy one another for decades, causing the death of over eight million people in Central Europe. Seeing that kind of long-term destruction and terror and suffering, surely things could not get any worse, they said, and they had to be the last generation. But they were not. And then we look around at the world today, and it sure seems like it should be ending any minute now. We have wars and rumors of wars. We have natural disasters. We have pandemics and terrorism. We have false teachings abounding and Christians being persecuted. All these things are signs that God told us would mark the end. These are things that were revealed through Scripture, and all of them are happening in spades all around us. We are weeping and lamenting our wicked culture, and the world rejoices just as Jesus promised. And so a little while has got to be now, right? The end has got to be here soon. I mean, surely a little while has gone by. Well, we're not the first generation to assume that the end is nigh, and we may well not be the last. When exactly is a little while going to be over? When will the end come? Well, only God knows that. His ways are not our ways, but his ways are merciful. Imagine if the end had come during the time of the apostles, or during the time of the early church, or during the time of the reformers. Where would we be? We wouldn't exist. We wouldn't know God's mercy. We would not be in his heavenly kingdom. And so we give thanks for every day of grace that God allows this sinful world to go on. We don't know how long this final little while will last. The world could end this afternoon, or it could continue on for 5,000 more years. We don't know. And the fact is, we don't have to. Because no matter how long a little while is, no matter how horrible and evil and bloody things might get, we know that God himself is with us through it all. And as Jesus has promised... So also you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Even in this sinful world, even as we wait for an unknown amount of time, even as things go from bad to worse around us, no one will take our joy from us. Now, don't be delusional and think that your Christian faith is going to protect you from any kind of heartache or sorrow or pain. I mean, if anything, it's going to make you more of a target in this world. It is going to make your suffering even greater as you are attacked by the world, as you see people rejecting the free gift of God's grace all around you. Your faith will not build a magic bubble around you so you can smile and whistle as the world burns outside. You will suffer. You will be tried. You will weep and lament as the wicked world rejoices and plots your destruction. But even amid all that pain and suffering and destruction and terror, your Christian faith will give you assurance that non-believers simply will not have. You know that Jesus Christ is victorious. 
You know that the pain of the end lasts but a little while. You know that Jesus is coming again in glory, and when he does, all wars will cease. All sin will come to an end, and all believers will return with him to that eternal paradise of heaven. How do you know this? Well, you know it because of the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. Jesus promised that even though the disciples would not see him for a while while he was in the tomb, they would see him again and rejoice. And he fulfilled that promise. So why would he not fulfill it again? Jesus promised that on the cross, he would die under the weight of mankind's sin, that all who looked to him in faith would be forgiven and would live forever. Jesus promised that his death would be the propitiation of your sin, the atoning sacrifice that makes you holy, innocent, and righteous in the eyes of God. Jesus promised that where he goes, you will be with him, and that he goes to prepare a place for you, and that he will come again to take you to be with him again. In the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see the fulfillment of so many prophecies, so many centuries of promises. Jesus' Easter victory is the assurance that God keeps his word, even if it's not in the time frame that we are expecting. He always had, and he always will. And so for now, we wait for a little while longer. Not just biding our time, Not just keeping our heads down, hiding in the shadows to avoid persecution and pain. We are called to be beacons of light amid all the darkness and death of this world. We are called to shine out from this world, to stand apart, to not go along with the crowd. And doing so will certainly draw fire. It will draw ridicule. It will maybe even bring pain and death from the sinful world that hates us and hates the message of hope and truth that we speak. But as we do so, even if we suffer, we will bring the saving word of God to people who have never heard it before, sinners in desperate need of salvation, just like we ourselves are. We take the time that God has given us to share the good news of Christ, to live out our Christian faith, to proclaim to the world that there is a better way that does not lead to eternal death. We rejoice with the little time that we have, looking forward to when Christ will return. Today, as we honor our graduating seniors, we recognize that we are sending them out into a world that is deeply decidedly hostile toward their Christian faith. Whether you're heading to college, even Christian colleges, going into the workforce, or simply entering into life as an adult, you are going into enemy territory. Your faith will be challenged in ways that you never imagined. The devil will tempt you with so much sin, claiming that everyone else is doing it, that it's fun, that it really can't hurt you, that it doesn't matter. You will be told that you need to be more open and accepting in your faith, that other versions of Christianity are kinder and better and way more fun. You will be told that your Christian faith is useless, outdated, bigoted, and untrue. 
You'll hear all sorts of slick arguments and refutations of Scripture, all sorts of easy-to-swallow reasons why Christianity is wrong and you should just walk away from it. You will be under heavy fire from the enemies of God, from the devil, the world, from your own sinful flesh. You are not safe, but neither are you alone. Every one of us here faces the same temptations and assaults. Every one of your brothers and sisters in Christ has been sucker punched by the devil in ways that we never expected. And every one of us is here for you at all times, praying for you, sharing in your burdens, speaking the word of truth for you when you need it, which is always. You may be going far away, but here... And wherever God's word is preached in truth and purity, you will always have a home, a shelter from the storm, a place to rest, even if it's just for a little while. So hold fast to your Christian faith, each and every one of you. Not just our graduates, but all of us. Do not lose that hope that Jesus' promise that we would see him again in a little while was given to us nearly 2,000 years ago because his ways are not our ways. Do not let the world convince you to turn away from his promises of forgiveness, life, and salvation because no matter how rough it gets, no matter how long a little while might be, it is but the blink of an eye compared to the eternal joy of heaven that God has won for you. As Jesus says, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Because our joy, it's not in the temporal things which will be gone in a little while. Our joy is in the everlasting, never-changing, life-giving gospel of our Lord. His sacred promises that we know he is faithful to keep. Even as we suffer, Even as we wait, our joy lies in the eternal truth of the gospel, that by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.